Amen. As children are dismissed back to Praise Factory, um, if you turn in your Bible to uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, we're going to... um, My microphone should be on, so don't blast everybody. Um, We're going to... Um, read from uh, from Matthew chapter five, but I want to I want to just say a couple things. One, uh, what a what a great connection to what we're going to be preaching or, or hearing and, and 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 learning this morning. The idea that when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, that's the song that was just being played there. That the things of the world will go grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Uh, comfort in times of difficulty and mourning come from putting our eyes on Jesus and not on our problems and difficulties. I'm also uh, reminded as we were worshiping this morning that I just, I love to hear you sing. Uh, I love in those, in those moments when uh, I think people just kind of forget that we're, that we're all gathered and we're all singing together, we're all enjoying um, and, and, and you can hear the, uh, the singing and the connection with what we're singing. I'm thankful for that. It is good to affirm truths that are biblical about God in song. There's something different about saying a sentence and singing it and believing it. Uh, and that reminds me that I'm thankful for our worship team and for the work that they do each and every week in, in prepping and preparing. It's good. Um, I'm thankful for that, uh, for that energy and the effort that goes in there. I believe that we are well blessed and well served. I'm going to pray, and we're going to pray as we do weekly for an unreached people group. We're going to pray for the Adamawa people, the Fulani of, of Cameroon, um, and they are uh, four and a half million souls uh, completely and utterly unreached. So we're going to lift them up to the Lord and ask that he would speak to them in the way that he has spoken to us in the gospel. And then we're going to read. We're going to read now Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, which says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for your grace. We thank you for a word that reaches us where we are in the real world. A word that tells us that the Christian life is not just rainbows and lollipops and games and fun and happiness all the time, but that because of sin, there is suffering and pain. You are not a dictator or a tyrant who says there will never be a frown on your face. Or even if you are feeling sad and you are keeping, as the British say, a stiff upper lip, there can't be a frown in your heart. You are a God who acknowledges that we are a people who grieve and mourn. And you pronounce those who mourn blessed. Because comfort will come. So we pray, Father, this morning as we turn to your word. One, we pray that the comfort of the gospel 
would come to the Adamawa people. That 4.5 million people who know only Allah of Islam would come to know the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And through Him see the heart of the real Father, the real Creator, the one who desires to save and who shows grace. We pray that, that some level of despair in their culture over the harshness of Islam would lead them to seek and to search and to find you. Father, we pray for ourselves as we turn to your word, Lord. We grieve and mourn in many ways. We grieve the loss of friends. We grieve uh, the struggles that we have at work. We grieve the loss of loved ones. Or maybe, like so many, we don't grieve. We push it down because we've been taught not to cry externally or not to mourn internally. And so, Father, we thank you for a word that that corrects these tendencies or encourages them. We pray that you would teach us to mourn. Because the scripture says that those who mourn are blessed because they'll receive comfort. And so we pray for comfort to come from your word. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. There is a a story that's told in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 7 of how Jesus was doing his thing, traveling from town to town. Uh, This is what he did. He never stayed in one place for an extremely long time. He moved from place to place, and he arrived in a town called Nain. And his disciples were with him, and as usual, right, there's the, I, I imagine it like this, like, like here's Jesus, and then there's his, his, his buddies, the, the three who were closest to him, and, and they kind of interact with him and say, you know, we'll be to this place shortly, you know, we're, we're arriving here or going there. Remember you said that we should... Um, you know, look for a place to stay or, you know, that we should think about this or think about that, you know, and they're, they're talking to him and the 12 are kind of interacting with, with Jesus. And then there's this crowd that's kind of following behind him. You know, they're not part of the inner circle. They're, they're with him, but, but they're following at a bit of a distance. Um, sometimes they're, they're, they're rushing up and asking him for things, but, but the crowd is with Jesus. And so, so he's, got, he's got his disciples around him, interacting with him about the business that they're about. And then the occasional request, Jesus stops and sits down and rests. And the crowd gathers around him and they start asking him things as he's uh, eating his lunch. You know, can you heal this one? Can you answer this question? Can you uh, fix this situation in my life? As they're going, I think that the crowd kind of dropped back as they were approaching Nain. Some of them, perhaps, uh, began to, to engage their cultural sensibilities. You know how this is, right? You see, you're, you're about to make a, a left-hand turn, right? And the arrow turns green, but you see a long line of cars with all their lights on. You know, that's a funeral. And even though by rights I can turn here, I'm not going to turn. I'm just going to sit. I'm going to wait. I'm going to miss however many left turn green arrows, right? Because the right thing to do in this particular situation is to let the funeral train go on uninterrupted. In the Jewish culture, when there was 
Somebody, somebody had died many times. Uh, people would wail and mourn and they would do it loudly. And there are even places where uh, people hire professional mourners to set the scene and to create uh, grief. We see this in, in the situation with the, the little girl who had died, that the, that the mourners were there. Um, as they draw near to the town... The, the crowd, I believe, perhaps would have dropped back just a little bit or they, they would have begun to wail along with the people who were coming out of the town because a funeral procession was coming. A man had died and he was being carried out and he was the only son of his mother. She's a widow. So there's no father in the situation, which means, culturally speaking, that this woman is probably now wondering what will the future hold. She's mourning the loss of her son. She's probably mourning the loss of her husband, whenever that was, and she is confronted with the reality that she now has very few options economically. What will happen to her? She doesn't know. A considerable crowd, it says, from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, the story says, he had compassion on her. His heart went out to her. He was moved for her situation. I believe we can all identify at some point in our life where there has been some struggle or some pain or some grief that has moved us, if not externally, internally to tears. Some people have a tremendous just a very difficult time grieving and mourning. Crying over a situation that just is unbearable to them. But they feel the ache, the pain, and the loss, and they feel the, 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 the heart hurting. Jesus has compassion on people in that situation. Jesus has compassion on you. God feels compassion for you when you are in a situation where you are in pain. Not just that. Jesus would instruct you and tell you from the Sermon on the Mount that you are in a position of blessedness when you are in pain and you say, I ought to grieve over this. This is a situation that I ought to to feel sad over. That I, that I should mourn, that I should feel grief. Jesus says, how blessed are those who grieve. You could translate it this way, we don't for a reason, but you could say, how happy are the unhappy? How happy they will eventually be. Why? Because they, it says, will be comforted. What kind of grief are we talking about here? In this particular situation, we have a woman who is grieving, but she's grieving for multiple reasons. Uh, Many people, I believe, read, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And they think about the grief of bereavement, about losing someone. Is that what's being spoken of here? Yes, of course. But I believe that that's too small a category. It is a category of grief. It's a kind of grief, but it's too small. When we mourn all loss, all pain, all wounds, all struggles, we are acknowledging something 
is going on in our lives. We are, we are acknowledging a spiritual reality and, and addressing the fact that we need comfort and help. And we're putting ourselves in a place where comfort can come because we're acknowledging that we are mourning. In order to receive comfort, you have to acknowledge that the struggle is real. Okay? That something's really going on there. There's this commercial that's on TV right now. I think it might have been a Super Bowl commercial, but it starts, right? There's this little girl. She's in this car that she's gotten maybe for her birthday or for Christmas. It's finally spring. She can finally ride the car. And she's sitting there, and and she's in the car, and the back tire goes out on her, and the car just, like, crumples down. And then all these things start happening in the commercial, right? The little little vacuum robot is bumping up against the chair. Later on, it shows up in the commercial. It's dragging a blanket along, and there's stuff all over the floor. Um, A woman's heel breaks. Uh, There's a woman. I love her face. She's just got this, like, worn out, just, you want to just reach out and say, it's going to be okay, face on. And she's dragging this this, uh, roller suitcase and two wheels are missing off of it and and you just as the commercial goes on the the pain and stress of of things breaking and not working and you've had this you're like and then they they cut back to the girl like right before the punchline of the commercial comes and she's just screaming in the in the back of her car just like rejecting that her great gift and present that that she loved is busted Love it. I watched it like three times yesterday. Just watched the commercial. Because, because I think like, this is the human condition. This is the stuff breaks. We lose things and people and opportunities. And we experience pain as we interact with other people. And we, we discover wounds from long ago or we're wounded in present relationships. What we can do is train ourselves not to grieve... We can teach ourselves to be tough and to, to fight tears, or we can, we can allow tears sometimes to flow so freely that we just feel hurt and we think, okay, I'm, I'm done, I grieved over it, it won't hurt me anymore. And, and, and we just kind of move on. Grief, the mourning that is being described here, is the realization that we are in a wretched situation, that pain is present and that that our heart is is, is, is aching because part of it is rusting. You know, something's something's not right there. The other day, um, my wife brought all my kids home and I I had arrived at home just a little bit earlier and so I was upstairs doing something and the kids all came in and I guess Hank had had a bag of Cheetos with him that he'd gotten somewhere and he he put them on the kitchen table and then went off and did a couple things and he came back and he said to me and I hadn't seen the bag he said where are my Cheetos and I said I don't know where did you leave them and he said right there and then he said they were right there and he just he just fell apart you know and it's that face like like this like the what Nancy calls the boo-boo face it was just like Everything is wrong with the world. And I'm not making light of mourning and, and grieving, by, but that is, a, that is a feeling right there that, that so often as adults we say, I'm not, I'm not supposed to feel that way or I need to hold it together. I can't, I can't fall apart. I need, to, I need to be there for other people or I, I can't let this get me down. In the Jesus Storybook Bible, 
when Adam and Eve sin, there's a line um, that, that says that Adam and Eve broke their relationship with God by sinning. And then it says, and now everything else in the world would break too. And I think, wow, is that, that's the truth. Everything seems to be running down and we need to fight and work to keep everything going and the struggle and pain of trying to do that can just be so great. And so in the midst of that, as Christians, we need to learn that it is okay to mourn. Scholar uh, D.A. Carson says this, the godly remnant of Jesus' day, the people who were seeking God and seeking Jesus to be taught, the people who Jesus is teaching here, weep and mourn because of the pain in their land, because of the pain in their lives. But they understand that it comes from personal and corporate sins, from their own sins and from the sins of their people. And I would say this, we weep in our day, not just because we have hurt feelings. We, we weep and we grieve. We ought to weep and grieve because we know that we are separated from God, because we know that we sin. We know that we have been sinned against, and we know that sin is ruining, ruining the world. I want to point out, before I, I, I get into the like two or three things that I want to do here, I want to, I want to point out just one thing. Um, Jesus is climbing some stair steps here in these Beatitudes. As Bruce said earlier, they are all stated in the present. They are all blessings for believers right now. People, people who are engaging this in their lives are blessed. They are in that right state of relationship with God. And the goal is to keep climbing the stairs, to keep moving up. The first stage, the first stair is to realize that you're spiritually poor and acknowledge it. That was last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This, this stage is to grieve and to mourn, to realize that, that we don't, okay, first step, we don't have the resources to change the world. We don't have what we need. We struggle. We come before God and we, and we say, this is what I have to offer you. And there's nothing in our hands. And he says, you're blessed. And he gives us the treasure of Christ. The second stage is to grieve and to mourn, to realize, first step, but then to be contrite about it. Okay? Have you ever had an argument with your spouse where they have said, you have done wrong, right? And, and so you, you have that. No, I didn't. Yes, you did, right? And then it's pointed out. And then you realize, like, you are wrong. You were wrong. You, you acknowledge that. You acknowledge your own poverty in that situation. And then you respond by saying, so what if I was wrong, right? You'll never win that way. <laughs> by the way, you, know, you never win an argument that way. Don't ever, it's not good. Don't do it. Um, the, the right thing to do when you acknowledge that you failed is not to then say, like, how dare you, you, you point out my failure, but instead to say, yes, I failed, and I am sorry that I did that. To grieve it and to mourn it. And so what we're doing here in this place, as we're climbing these stairs, right? First, acknowledging our own spiritual poverty and then grieving over it and mourning it. We, we realize someone has been separated from us. We have experienced a loss. Someone's died or, or we've, we've lost a relationship, or we got fired from our job, or something, something happened and, and now we owe someone money, or somebody's sick, and, and just to take the opportunity to say, oh, 
I'm destitute and poor before the Lord because of sin that's in the world, because sin has broken the world, and then to grieve over that. That is a good thing which we should do. It's kind of Jesus to tell us in a day and age of spiritual success and self-actualization and nothing can stop you, right? Uh, I believe that the, the roots of, of Oprah Winfrey's promotion of something called the secret or the law of attraction is, is active and living in this day. The idea that if you think positive thoughts, positive things will, will happen. The, the, the idea of the secret is that if you think positive things, then the universe will make them happen, right? Um, Jesus is kind to tell us this, that the Christian life is not always joy and laughter. That's a false promise. As the scholar, notorious B.I.G., has said, mo money, mo problems, right? Okay, now, I'm going to put two or three, two biblical scholars right, right with him, okay? The scholar Solomon says this, the more knowledge, the more grief. Right? The more you know about the world, the more you know about like economics or banking or social work or 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 counseling or drug treatment or any or marriages in the states, the more you know, the greater your level of despair because you think the world is really messed up. And then Paul says or no, Solomon says this in the book of Proverbs. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. More words, more problems, right? Stop talking if you don't want trouble, but yet we need to speak in order to communicate. And so, so, so Jesus, I believe, is kind to say to us here that the Christian life is not all joy and laughter, and you will have these experiences in your life where you will have to say, ah, This is not good. I need help. I need to grieve. Is this true even for the Christian? Isn't this just for for, for sinners? Yes, it's true for the Christian. Philippians 1.29, Paul says this to the Philippians. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him and experience the blessings of salvation, but also suffer for his sake. There's suffering in the Christian life. It's not always happy and peppy and bursting with love, as someone used to sing on television. I can't remember. It might be Lucille Ball. Christians ought to shed Christian tears. Jesus said in Luke 6.21, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. When Jesus drew near to the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it. Even though he was going to go to the cross and save humanity, he knew what was going to happen in that city was going to be a demonstration of the sinfulness of humanity. They would reject God, reject him, and kill him. John 11.33, Jesus, the most blessed of all human beings, the one who had the greatest relationship with God. Yes, he is a human being, and he is fully God. And that's why we can use him as an example for our leadership, by the way. And we're going to talk about that at Lead Like Jesus, so you should come. Uh, it's my only commercial, I believe. Uh, John eleven thirty three. Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who'd come with her also weeping. And he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then Jesus wept. 
Romans 12, 15, Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, you might be thinking, no, we need to fill the church with positivity because that's what people want. If, if we talk about mourning and grieving and all this stuff, how will people be attracted to the church? If they, don't, if they see me grieving, how will, they, how will they say, that's what I want? Right? Because that's what we're, this is pastors love to say stuff like this. The joy of the Lord should be in you. And people will say, why is your life so different? I want to be like you. How will people be attracted to the church? That's a great question. I'll answer that in just a couple minutes. We ought to weep over pain and loss and brokenness. We ought to grieve and mourn. We can weep over the sin of others. We can. It's okay. Psalm 119 verse one. 36. I think that might be the longest scripture reference in the Bible. Psalm 119, verse 136. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. What I think is being put forth here is a better filter than what many Christians do on a regular basis. We we make two errors here, I think. Christians can make the error of being filled with absolute, complete, and total moral outrage, right? These people are sinners. And we just, we, we put ourselves in the place of God and we think, like, I am going to hate that person because God hates sin. And that's wrong. Christians should not just constantly be walking around with a, with a sense of absolute outrage. Why? Because we are sinners ourselves and God accepted us. Second, we ought not to have this, like, uh, compassionate fear for the sinner and say, like, surely God shouldn't judge this person because we've all sinned, right? You know, it, it ought not go either way like that to either extreme. Instead, what we ought to do is shed tears for them and attempt to help them be reconciled with God. And I believe that's a way in which we love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And we exalt his holiness and righteousness and justice. And we also love our neighbor, striking the balance between moral outrage and and a kind of compassion that that would take the, the sting out of the law. We ought to also weep over our own sin, not just over pain and loss and brokenness, not just over the sin of others, which sometimes affects us, but we ought to weep over our own sins. And the weeping that we weep over our own sins can be deeply emotional. Listen to Psalm 51, which maybe you've read and just kind of, just kind of read it like it was data and not like it is the emotional response of David to his own sin. He says this, I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Thinking about the wrongdoing that he had done, it's like it's hanging there in front of him like a picture. Against you, you only. You're not talking about Uriah. You're not talking about Bathsheba here. He's not talking about this child that was conceived and then, and then died. He's talking about God himself against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. You're justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. What does that mean when God says, you are a sinner? David says, yes. And he grieves over his sin. Listen to Paul grieve over his sin and then watch him do the Christian thing as he responds to the, God, the presence of the gospel in this situation. He says this in Romans 7.22, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. 
I believe that many of us can say that as Christians. I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Everything that I hear God say, this is holy and good and righteous and true. And this is the way that I am. We say, yes, I love that. But then we mourn and grieve because we see in our members another law waging war against the law of our mind, the the delight in God's goodness and, and truth and holiness. We see another law. It makes us captive to the law of sin that dwells in our members. We sin even though we know the truth and we grieve before God. Listen to Paul grieve. He says, wretched man that I am. This is not just drama. This is what Paul is thinking. He thinks, I deserve judgment. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Ah, here's the gospel, right? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is there to comfort the sinner who acknowledges his own spiritual poverty and then begins to mourn. We need to make sure that we stair-step through the right stages of gospel appropriation here, by the way. As we say, thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think as we mourn our world around us and we mourn the sins of others and we mourn our own sins and we grieve over them, we need to be sure that that we work through the grief process by starting on a gospel foundation. That we say... The Lord Jesus came and died for sinners. He poured out his grace. That he, he poured out his life that I might receive God's grace. He was punished by God that I might escape from punishment. And then knowing that, that that's the foundation on which we can survive, we then request that God search us. Search me and know me. Let me know if there's any wicked way in me. And then when the Spirit brings to mind that there's a a sin or a struggle there or, or maybe something that we're holding against someone, we acknowledge our sin. And it's okay to do that because we have acknowledged our poverty of spirit. And then we confess our sin and not just in a, okay, you're right, I did that. Right? But we say, Thank you for showing me that, and I am, I am sorry that I sinned against you. And then we believe in the promises of God, that our sins have been taken away, that they've been put on Christ and canceled out, and that now we can walk in fullness of joy and new life, knowing that, that God has truly forgiven us. And we don't want to stop climbing the stairs. We don't want to take a shortcut. There are so many people, I believe, who are sitting in churches or who have heard the gospel on television, what a so-called gospel, a gospel that, that says, if you believe in God, everything's going to be good with you. And there's no real content in there, right? It would be like me saying to my wife, are you, are you hungry? And she says, yeah. And I said, do you want me to make a sandwich? And she says, sure. And I just give her two slices of bread, right? We assume that, that inside of the sandwich is maybe going to be a piece of lettuce, tomatoes, some some meat. There ought to be meat in, in, in the gospel presentation. And it has to be a, a, a presentation that says you are alienated from God. And that you need righteousness in order to stand before God. And that God will give you that righteousness through Christ. And here is how you get it. By acknowledging sinfulness. Confessing. Believing. That God will give you what he promises in Christ and then walking in the light of that truth. That's climbing the stairs in the right way. Let me just share some some help for those who 
mourn. Um, this is not just for bereavement. First, know the, the pits of grief. Okay, there are these there are these traps, these hidden pits, and there's there's five of them. Elizabeth Kubler Ross, a um, I believe she was a medical doctor. She discovered this as she worked with people who were grieving that that people immediately upon suffering some kind of loss or some kind of pain that they move into a place of denial. They say this can't be happening, and they're they're like no no not happening not happening. Sometimes you you feel this in your brain when when something happens. You think like. Oh, I'll call that person. And then you think, oh, they're gone? Or, oh, they don't like me anymore. I can't call them. But you, you denied it for a second there. Second is anger. Why is this happening to me? Who, who, I need to blame somebody. This isn't right. And we, we, we respond with, with fierce objection. Third is bargaining. God, if you make this not happen, I'll live this way. Right? We try to, we try to get around it. These are natural Ways I believe that our our brain tries to to deal with loss because the human soul was not designed to embrace pain and death. This is not the way God created the world. He created us to be in fellowship with Him, and so I believe that our 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 flesh rejects grief. A fourth way of dealing with loss is to become depressed. I, I, I am immobilized. I am paralyzed. I'm too sad to do anything. And then finally we can reach a place, and sometimes wrongly, where we say, I'm at peace with what's happened. Sometimes we truly are. We've, we've dealt with it and we've, we've worked through it. Other times we just say, we say, oh, I'm there. I'm good. I acknowledge that this, is, this has happened. I acknowledge that the pain has, has hit. And, and we try to like, fast forward and get through it. Um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross said this. She said that there are responses. They, that they, these, are not, these are not stages that we have to go through. It's not like, oh, I'm in stage one, now stage two, now stage three. She said that they are human responses to loss that many people have. But there is not a typical response to loss as there is no typical loss. Our grieving is as individual as our lives. I think it's important to embrace that truth. That, that we struggle, and we struggle in different ways, and, and different people respond differently. Grief, mourning can be a roller coaster. It comes in waves, um, and that can be our response. Anytime we face a disappointment or some kind of trauma or pain or we're confronted with, with death, we, we get on this roller coaster of, of struggle. We can react in many different ways. How do, we, how do we make it through? How do you process or, or work through your grief and mourning? Um, just a couple of suggestions. One is get support. Get some support around you. It's important to have friendships and relationships. As we, as we drive through life and encounter more and more of what I call the bat cave phenomena, you know this, if you've got a garage, right? You, you press the button as you drive up to your home, right, and you pull into the driveway, and if your garage is ultra clear, you pull your car into the driveway. I park mine outside because my garage is not clear. And then I get out of the car, right, and if no one's around, I just kind of go in, I press the button, and the back cave door closes, and I am in my home, right? More and more in our society, people are living independent individual lives. They don't interact with their neighbors. They don't have deep relationships with friends. 
They don't, they don't take the time to build relationships where there's vulnerability. And then when, when the bottom drops out or they experience loss, they don't have a bridge built to another person where they can say, hey, I need, I need your help. I need someone to come alongside me. So this is why it's important to, to have good relationships with family and friends. To build deep relationships with other believers. I was listening. Uh, let, me, let me just make a, this a real practical point. Uh, I was listening to a, a show on the radio where the woman said, when my father died, I just couldn't respond back to the people who called. I just couldn't talk anymore. She said, but every single person who left a voicemail was a blessing to me. I could listen to them over and over and over again. Isn't that interesting? Take the time and, and leave a voicemail to support a, a friend. Find a mentor, someone, someone who has experienced similar grief, and say, help me through this. And, and maybe if, if the situation is traumatic enough, you may need to take some time and talk to someone. Talk to me, your pastor. Um, talk to somebody who uh, is a professional and who can help walk you through in a, in a biblical frame of thinking, walk you through this difficulty. Second is to take care of you in the middle of grief. Yes, there are people who need you, your family needs you, but if you've experienced a significant loss, you, you need to take care of you, you need to face your feelings and say, yeah, this is going on. I am, I am feeling this. Figure out ways to express your feelings. Tell your spouse or a good friend, this is what I'm feeling. Establish permission to call someone. Say, If you've got a good close friend, say, when grief hits me, when I'm just feeling the loss, I don't, I don't need you to tell me what to do, although you can do that if you want because we don't want to eliminate good advice. But you just you say to somebody, you say, hey, listen, I'm going to call you up and I'm going to say, I am struggling right now and this is what I'm struggling with because I just got to get this out. Take care of yourself physically. I'm depressed. I'm not, I'm not doing well. I don't feel like eating. I'm not sleeping well. That affects everything. Don't tell yourself how to feel. I ought to be happy. Really? You're mourning. There's some, some degree of sadness that ought to be there. And don't let anyone else tell you how to feel either. You should be over this by now. There's no such thing as typical loss. Plan ahead for grief triggers. Um, my wife calls the first year after someone dies the year of firsts. Anniversaries, holidays, milestones, um, those, those, those things that happen that set off an emotional tidal wave, right? Know that that's normal. This would have been my parents' wedding anniversary. Or, or this was our anniversary. Or today is so-and-so's birthday. And I just, I thought about this morning and the first thing I wanted to do is call them. And I can't. Acknowledging that is part of mourning. But let me say this. Learn how to change your state when you feel depressed when you feel like you are in mourning in psalms 42 and 43 the psalmist as as he's grieving in the first verses then will say why so downcast O my soul put your hope in god he stops listening to the the track that's running in his head and he tells himself what to do i have hope and confidence in god and so we're going to talk in just a moment about about ways in which christians can receive comfort we're going to go through that quick 
Isaiah 43, 1 through 2 holds out a promise of comfort to us. Listen to this. Now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Does this apply to Christians? Absolutely. If you've put your faith and trust in Christ, you're redeemed. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. You're not going to drown. When, when you go through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You're not going to be swamped. I'll be there. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Learning to, to have the promises of God in you and ready to use to fight. That's why we do fighter verses. For when, when these situations happen, you've got the word of God hidden in your heart. To help you to to rise out of the state of depression or struggle. We mourn, yes, but we need to fight back. Jesus, coming upon this funeral procession, says to the woman, he says to her, do not weep. He saw the funeral. He felt compassion. How do we experience comfort in the midst of difficult times? We first experience comfort because God has sent a Messiah. He sent Jesus. In Isaiah 40, the commission is given to Messiah. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. For those who are in Christ, the sin has gone on Christ and is taken away. There's an amazing kind of a revelation of Jesus' identity here uh, in these first two um, first two beatitudes. Jesus read in the synagogue, uh, Isaiah 61, the spirit of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, right? He sends Jesus to bind up the brokenhearted, right? That's blessed are those who are poor in spirit, whose hearts are broken. Uh, verse two says that the Messiah is sent to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give uh, them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, to give them the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. When Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, he's saying, I am the Messiah coming to bring the answer. We're, we're comforted also by the resurrection. Luke seventeen fourteen. he comes up and he touches, I'm not going to say this word, is it a beer? I am going to say it. It's a beer? I don't know. Um, it's not Jerry beer. It's not Lori Beer. Um, he comes up and he t- touches this platform that they're carrying the, the, uh, the, the man on. And the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. We may be mourning and thinking, why doesn't this happen now? Why? Why, why will God just not end it and, and bring about the eternal state? Why won't he just stop? death. And I'll I'll say this, this is the answer. Because not every single one of my children have believed yet. Because not every single one of your grandchildren have believed yet. Because there are people God still desires to save. And so he holds out the promise of resurrection. And we can know that one day our lives will be restored. And that the lives of all those who are in Christ will be restored. And we can know that there's great hope and joy in that, in the resurrection. And we can have hope there and receive comfort. We can receive comfort in the gospel. This is God's message of hope and comfort. Revelation 5.5, 5, 
one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Why is John weeping? He's weeping because no one in heaven has qualifications to open the scroll and to release all of God's blessings that will transform the world. He's like, why is no one in heaven qualified? Someone has to open this thing. No one can open it. Why? Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Messiah opens it and blessings roll out. The gospel teaches us this, that for those who love God, for those who are in Christ, all things work together for good. Not just good things working together for good, but bad things working together for good. We can say, I know that in my mourning, in my loss, in my pain, that God is going to bring good out of this. How? I'm not really sure. Our suffering is as individual and different as our lives. God knows what he's doing. Fourth, we find comfort through Christians. Why do people come to the church? Why are people interested in the gospel? Let me tell you this. Very few people show up at a church because they're looking for a church. Many people show up because they are looking for truth and comfort and grace and help. And many people will respond to an invitation to come because they have something that's wrong in their lives and they will receive comfort from you as you explain the truth to them. I was reading a a book about why people show up at church. And the answers that were given were this. They come because they're displaced. They've moved from one place to another. And so they go out looking for a church. Why do they come? They come because of some kind of disaster in their lives. Our home life is a mess. We need, we need some truth. We need some answers. And so they show up. They've, they've gone through a divorce. They've encountered a death. And now they're looking for meaning. Or they show up because they are distraught. They're lonely. Listen, if the Christian is prepared and understands that it is okay to mourn and understands that people aren't just coming to to get uh, some kind of religious download from church, they're not just looking for a church that's friendly, but they're looking for actual friends, people who who will get into the trenches of their life with them and help them. If we're ready, we can embody what God says in Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Oh, isn't that good? You can be part of Messiah's mission to comfort those in loss by preaching the gospel, by sharing with those who need to hear. When people come looking for deeper things, We don't say, this is a friendly church that's got it all together. Come stay. No, what we do is we connect with them and say, here is compassion. Here is community. Here is Christ who comforted us. Finally, we're comforted by the coming new world order. Revelation 7.15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. This is those who stand in God's presence. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They will hunger no more. They will thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The gospel teaches that one day there will be no more pain. And so let me encourage you as we close. If you're grieving over something this morning, 
Maybe you walked in here and you didn't know you were grieving. And now you're thinking, I I need to grieve that. I need to mourn over that. Jesus is compassionate. Bring what you're struggling with to him. Are you struggling with anything, with everything, facing anxiety? Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares. Do you know somebody who's struggling and in pain who needs to hear that that Jesus is a God who interrupts pain and loss and shows compassion? Be the voice of the gospel to them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to, to share this word. It's uncomfortable to preach on mourning and grief because it can be real. We can struggle. We can feel like we're just simplifying something that's so deep and so painful. But Father, grief is real and it hits every life. And many, many times we reject it. Many times we refuse to go with it. We don't acknowledge or we just... We cry and we say, oh, that's over with. And we we fail to realize it's something that we need to continue to, to go through and to process as we go forward. Father, I would pray that we would see that we don't need to always be in front of you with happiness and joy, but we can come and say, I am hurting. And that when we do that, we don't find you saying, go away. Why aren't you happy? We hear you saying, it's okay, I'll be with you. Cast your anxieties and cares on me. I care for you. And we find help. Father, we pray that when people are grieving or mourning or struggling, they would find compassion and help in us. In Christians. Not just in Christians in general, but in Christians who believe the gospel. In we, your people these people in this room, may they be a source of compassion and healing for those who are lonely or distraught or struggling or grieving or mourning. And may you you use us as a source of life in the lives of others. That's what you call us to do, Lord, to make disciples, to bring the gospel, to bring life, to bring compassion, the compassion of the Messiah. We thank you for the opportunity to partner in your work. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this closing song together.